You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Sean Reynolds. I'm the owner of Summer Properties Northwest and Reynolds and Klein Appraisal, and your host of this episode of the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 26th, and we are getting super close to having the government stimulus package approved. So what I'm going to do is talk about some things in general, and then I'm going to get into the kind of the broad strokes of what's in the stimulus package, and then a little dive a little bit deeper into the specifics. Who gets what? What kind of money are we looking at? What kind of money are we looking to, at to individual taxpayers and then businesses? And how does this really impact the economy with everything that's going on? All right, so we're going to jump right on in. So one of the news stories that I saw today was a cheesecake factory is not going to be able to make rent. That's the first big major U.S. corporation that's traded publicly that has said, hey, come April 1, we are not going to be able to make rent. So you're going to hear a ton more companies kind of popping their hand up, hey, we can't make rent either, we can't make our mortgage. And one of the things I want to let people know, since a lot of my listeners are real estate and they're specifically residential real estate, is that there's a lot of talk going on about you can just call up your bank and get your mortgage You don't have to pay your mortgage for a month, three months, whatever. Be super careful before you jump into something like that because that may impact your credit. It's mortgage forbearance, and a lot of times that will impact your credit. So read the fine print in whatever contract you're getting. Don't do this just over the phone. Have them email you a contract of what exactly it is that you're going to be doing before you make any changes. And that goes as well with car loans or any kind of consumer debt. Make sure you know exactly how it's going to impact you and possibly the impact to your credit. Because a lot of times that will happen. There'll be a ding on your credit. So um, keep that in mind. Restaurants in the state of Washington are now able to sell wine, beer, and spirits as part of their delivery and pickup program. I thought, you got to have some good news somewhere. Let's roll with that. So as long as the beer or the wine or the hard alcohol is in a sealed container, restaurants can send that either with their delivery or on their pickup. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Everybody's at home. It's not like people are drinking and driving around. Just take it home, drink it there. The other big notice um, before we get into the stimulus package is that we had the unemployment numbers come out and they came out at 3,283,000 unemployment uh, claims as of today. That is five times the nearest record for unemployment claims in a week. So a ton of people out of work, but we kind of knew that. Knew that going into this, that the numbers were going to be bad. And I thought there'd be maybe two and a half million, maybe three, but you know, 3.3, that doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me about this is that the stimulus package, the news that the stimulus package is pretty close to being approved, kind of over, it kind of washed out and overran the unemployment numbers. I thought if the unemployment numbers were going to be bad today, then you'd see the stock markets kind of recoil. Um, And when I started this podcast, uh, the Dow was up, I think, 900 points, something like that. It's bounced around between 800 to 1,000 points recovery just today. So I think everybody's looking at that stimulus package and going, okay, we're getting close here. Um, let's, let's dump some money into the equities markets. And so that is what's happening. But the unemployment numbers, not good. And if the Dow closes above 22,000 this week, it would be the first time since March 13th 
that we've had a run like this. And so I think what's happening is people are dumping people money into the stock market knowing that we've got maybe a three-day run going. And with tomorrow, that'd be make four. Will there be some profit taking tomorrow? Yeah. So I don't expect the Dow to be up a ton tomorrow, but I think it'll be up a little bit. And that, that way you've got a good run going into the weekend, which at this point in time, you know, normally we wouldn't really care about that, but it's, markets have been so up and down that um, you know any kind of positive uh, force we can have is great. This downturn is more like 9/11 with everything that happened there than it is the 2008 downturn. In 9/11, we had just boom all of a sudden we had the massive incident and then then the markets kind of reacted to that. This downturn that we're having right now is very similar to that. Um, from the standpoint that it's not this slow going into this process, everybody kind of knowing what's going on. This happened uh, not as fast as 9-11, but way faster than 2008. Another high note is that gas prices are, the national average for gas prices is $2.06. And it's predicted that over the weekend, those prices will drop under $2. I haven't gotten gas for maybe a week and a half because I haven't really gone anywhere and so I don't really know what gas prices are, but maybe that's something I'll check on. But that is one of the few highlights of what's going on out there. So let's jump into the stimulus package. All right. The Senate on Wednesday approved a historic $2 trillion stimulus package that's uh, to provide a jolt to the economy reeling from the coronavirus pandemic. The legislation represents the largest emergency aid in U.S. history and the most significant legislative action taken to address the rapidly intensifying coronavirus. It will go to the House. For, it goes next to the House for a vote. So they squared it away in the Senate, goes to the House for a vote, and that will happen tomorrow. The House will convene at 9 a.m. on Friday, March the 27th, to consider the relief package. And the, pass, uh, the, the plan is to pass this by a telephone vote. The House had a number of members uh, test positive for coronavirus, and a lot of, not a lot, but a number of the House members are self-quarantining because they know that they were around people who have tested positive. So they're going to try and do that by voice vote. Uh, President Trump has indicated he will sign the measure, and he, of course, tweeted his congratulations after it cleared the Senate, as he would. The White House and Senate leaders struck a deal, major deal early Wednesday morning on the package. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell formally announced the agreement on the Senate floor, describing it as a wartime level of investment for our nation. And it is a massive amount of money being spent. The broad strokes of this package are $250 billion set aside for direct payments to individuals and families, okay, $350 billion in small business loans, $250 billion in unemployment insurance benefits, and $500 billion in loans for distressed companies. I think that is the number that everybody's looking at going, oh, let's take a look there. What's happening there? Because a lot of people remember, remember back to 2008 when uh, Too Big to Fail happened, and uh, yep, they failed and they got bailed out, a lot of big, big businesses. Under the plan, individuals who earn $75,000 in adjusted gross, gross income or less would get direct payments of $1,200 each. And that goes out if you are set up with the IRS for your taxes on direct payment. That's how you get direct payment. Otherwise, it goes out via check. And married couples earning up to $150,000 receive $2,400. So it's the same. Same for two individual 
taxpayers in a household or two married couples, you know, two people in a married couple. Uh, that kind of makes sense, kind of doesn't. And an additional $500 per child. I think you have to qualify for the, the child credit. The payment would scale down by income, phasing out entirely at 99000 for singles and 198000 for couples without children. How do they come up with that number? I'm not sure, but there's a lot of people I know that make over a hundred grand that are just getting by. And they are in really expensive cities where a lot of your income goes towards housing. And so I think those people are going to be really hard hit. And obviously the people on the lower end of society are already being hard hit because a lot of the social features that you'd normally have, those are going to lose funding and it is going to be a brutal time. And how will the income be determined? That's another major question. Are they going to go on, is uh, the federal government going to go on last year's tax returns? I don't know. What if you are self-employed or you're a gig worker, you're an Uber driver, and your income goes up and down like a yo-yo? Do they average it over two years? I'm not really sure on that, and I haven't seen anything really substantive. I think they're trying to get the broad strokes together so far in this package and we'll fix the details later, but it's such a massive package that it's going to take a lot of work. And there's got to be a lot of people that are like, hey, what about me? And um, there may not be some answers, answers for that other than, well, that doesn't look good. In addition, the bill would provide a major amount of funding for hard-hit hospitals, $130 billion, as well as $150 billion for state and local governments that are cash-strapped um, due to the response to coronavirus. And I read a lot of the rural hospitals, they already run on a super thin margin, and they are typically understaffed anyway. Those are going to be some of the hardest hit, and I know there's money uh, either going to be a portion for them or um, they're getting some at this point. I'm not really sure, but that the rural hospitals are the ones that are kind of teetering on that edge. All right, let's move on. There was an intense partisan debate over the $500 billion proposal to provide loans to distressed companies like the Cheesecake Factory with $50, $50 billion in loans for passenger air carriers. Air carriers got a bunch of money and then the cruise industry got nothing. And I think the thought there is, is you've got to have aircraft carriers going basically, to run the country and run the economics. People travel all the time. It's a worldwide economy, and you got to keep that going. So keep those planes in the air. So that's why I think a big portion of money has been um, assigned there. There will also be an oversight board and the creation of an inspector general position to review how the money is spent. All right, that's great, but that only really works as far as how stringent those overseers are with the money. I think a lot of people are thinking, hey, this is a huge taxpayer bailout paid by the taxpayers because that's where federal funds come from, but we're not getting a lot of the money. Big interest is and big business is. I think that's what a lot of people are thinking. Or the, uh, the flip side to that is people aren't thinking anything at all because this is just like something that happens to them and it kind of flies over their head and they don't really look at the numbers. And that's why I wanted to take a, a, a cursory look at this and just see roughly where money is going and what we can expect. Uh, okay, that's it. So that's it kind of for the broad strokes. Now I'm going to get into more of the actual money being spent per industry. 
So loans to industries amounted to 500 billion. So that's about a quarter of what we're dealing with here, total money-wise. The Treasury Department would divvy up $500 billion uh, to struggling industries like airlines and even cities and states. And a lot of this isn't truly outlined yet, and I think there's going to be a little bit more debate between now and Friday tomorrow on what goes on. There's going to be some more negotiations. I've heard uh, you know, some senators wanting this thing and the House representatives wanting another. They're going to have to go back and forth on that. But what I'm really surprised is like two weeks ago, they couldn't agree on anything. And then all of a sudden, here we are with a $2 trillion stimulus package that came together pretty quick. So who's putting pressure on who to make this happen? There's got to be there's got to be parties out there going, you got to get this done because this is not something we can wait on. We've got the economy at a standstill. The virus is still going strong. The virus is basically at a vertical climb right now, and we don't know when it will slow down when that curve changes. Just don't know, and we're kind of on a wait to see, but we do know the economy shut down, need to get some money to people. Um, so rules added to the bill will order an inspector general, like I talked about it, an accountability committee to oversee how the money is spent rather than giving the Treasury Secretary broad power to cut the loan checks, and that's been done in the past. So we've got a little bit of oversight on this one. We'll kind of wait to see how that actually goes. And again, veterans of the 2008 bank bailout, however, say the effectiveness of that oversight will only be as strong as the chosen watchdogs and how much power they really have. Nothing new there. All right. And so another item is uh, on the checks on the way is that those who don't pay taxes, those who don't have the connections with the IRS, they're going to be hard-pressed to get their money because of the way this program is designed. This program is designed to deal with taxpayers direct. And so if you don't file a tax, uh, if you don't file taxes, this might be a difficult time for you. You might have to pop up and basically identify yourself. I'm not really sure how that's going to happen, but it's going to be tricky. And there's no guarantee that everybody's going to get paid. So hospitals, they got their wish with $100 billion. And this, uh, is, this figure is exactly what the three powerful groups representing physicians, hospitals, and nurses had demanded. And I think that's fair. This is a medical crisis. Get the hospitals, the physicians, and the nurses the money they need. Get them the equipment they need because that's kind of at the, at the root of this. The sooner that we can get the crisis under control, um, and we can't really control the crisis. It kind of controls what it does. But the better that we can respond to it and react to it, I have no issues with just a ton of money being spent there. All right, aid to airlines, $58 billion. So airlines get $29 billion in grants. That's just the government saying, hey, here's some money. And then $29 billion in loans and loan guarantees, um, as well as reprieve from paying three of the major excise taxes on the price of the ticket, the fuel tax, and a cargo tax. So we're saying, hey, you don't have to pay those. That's kind of a little extra stimulus. Here's some costs you don't have to incur. And that funding comes with strings, though. There are no stock buybacks and limits on executive compensation. That's fair. Guys making multi, multi, multi millions a year. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to cut that out. 
uh, half the funds would go towards the continuation of payment of unemployment wages, of employee wages, sorry, salaries and benefits, while the other half would go to loans and loan guarantees for passenger airlines, repair stations, and ticket agents subject to conditions. And I think the important thing is all of this stuff has conditions, and you have to read the fine print. Because I hear a lot of people saying, well, small business, you're small business, you can just go out and get a loan. Have you seen what the loan application looks like? You can just Google it, look at it online. There's so much criteria that you have to go through. The same with trying to get your mortgage either reduced or um, not pay it for a month or two. You may be on the phone for one, two, three hours before you get a response. So if you're going to go after these programs, you have to be willing to battle. And a lot of people start down that road and then they're just like, uh, yeah, not going to do it. All right, there's a prize for retaining payroll. Businesses would get a tax credit for keeping idled workers on their payrolls during the coronavirus pandemic, so long as the businesses meet certain criteria. They would get a refund for half of what they spend on wages up to $5,000 per worker. All right, so you get a refund as a, as a small business owner or even a large business owner. You get a refund for half of what you spend on wages up to 5000 per worker. That's a refund. That is not cash here today. You get money back. Um, and that doesn't really help things, but this is how the thing is. It, it doesn't help things in my opinion. And just like people getting $1,200, you might think that's a big chunk of change or maybe 2400 if you're a married couple. But if you don't, if you're not able to make your mortgage payment or your rent, boom, that money's done. There's going to be no trickle down to the economy because basically the economy is shut down right now. You're not going to go out to a restaurant to eat. You can't go buy some clothes. You can't do any of the normal things that kick money into the economy, the consumer economy that we're in. It's basically this money is earmarked for you just covering your essential bills so that you can survive. I've seen a number of things, a number of posts where people have been like, here's what you can do with your stimulus money. Like it's just some free money. And that's not what it's designed for. It's to help each individual get through these times. So don't go out and buy yourself a big screen TV at Best Buy. Um, if you don't have any debt, that's fine. But everybody's got expenses and use that money wisely. So getting back to the prize for the retaining payroll, to qualify, businesses have to prove they took a 50% loss compared to the same quarter in years past. Well, how are you going to do that? You haven't probably filed taxes for 2019. Um, so are you going to use a profit and loss statement that anybody can kind of create? If you've got QuickBooks, you can cook those books and come up with whatever numbers you want. So how are you going to prove that you took a 50% loss compared to the same quarter in years past? I'm not really sure. Going to have to see what the fine print is on that. But I am not hoping, I don't have high hopes for uh, business or small business getting a ton of money out of this uh, package. I think it's a hold on until the economy turns around and people go back to work. And that's why I think there's a large contingency of people pushing for going back to work sooner than later. And I personally have been getting a lot of kickback from people saying, hey, you don't care about old people. And I do care about old people. I've got a 93-year-old grandma that I haven't seen who's basically bedridden. And I haven't seen her in, I think it's like three weeks now. And that is brutal because she really depends on family members coming by and saying hello. So I do care about the elderly, but what this podcast is kind of more about is making predictions and following along and what's going on. 
And unfortunately, the big, the big news story right now is get people back to work because you're going to cause far more havoc from the economy versus the damage from the actual coronavirus. And so my narrative is finding a happy balance between the two. Get the economy going back up again so that you don't cause this massive chaos from people being unemployed for a few months versus the coronavirus exploding even more because you put people back to work. There's got to be a happy medium in there. I am no doctor. I know slightly more about business and economics than I do um, medicine, but I don't really know anything about medicine. So that's why my narrative is here. Hey, this is what I think is going to happen. Is this what should necessarily should happen? No, I don't, I don't really know what should happen, but I'm just kind of following along and with my years of experience in the real estate industry, this is what I'm saying I think is going to happen. All right, so, and to keep companies from double dipping on the aid under the bill, employers won't be able to get SBA loans if you've gone down the road of taking the tax credit. So you can't have both. So you can go out and try and get an SBA loan, but at Small Business Administration, that is a difficult entity to work with. I'm not trying to uh, discourage anybody from going down that route, but if you need to, start now, because it may take a while to get uh, the money into your system. All right, the Pentagon gets up to $10.5 billion. And before you go, oh my gosh, why? I, I think it kind of makes sense. The Defense Department would field an infusion of $10.5 billion, including $1.5 billion for the National Guard to deploy up to uh, 20,000 on-call on soldiers to help state response teams fight the coronavirus over the next six months. When people hear National Guard, they think that we're going under martial law, and we're not. The National Guard is deployed basically by the federal government to go out and do stuff in times like these, that's what they're there for. So whenever you go by like a National Guard facility and you're like, what do those guys really do? This is, these are the kind of times that the National Guard is set up for, to help out when state and local government can't do what they need to do or they're overwhelmed. So the National Guard, 20,000 on-call soldiers will be um, helped to, as response teams to do whatever they need to. The bill would also spend $415 million on research and development work at the Pentagon aimed at developing vaccines and antiviral medicine. All right, so you've got $1.5 billion and $415 million. That is $2 billion out of the $10.5 billion. I am wondering where the other $8 billion is going for the Pentagon. But this is not a new narrative. I don't really know where that is, but I'm sure we'll find out kind of in the fine print. Um, all right, so minimal aid for insurers, insurance companies. Insurers wanted an emergency fund to offset big losses stemming from the pandemic, as well as premium subsidies to help fund temporary COBRA coverage for laid-off workers. They got none of that. And although the legislation aims to protect them from price gouging on coronavirus tests. All right, I would see insurance uh, companies probably getting some kind of funding on a second package or some kind of other deal. I don't think you can have the insurance companies go under. They're kind of like the airline, but maybe they're a, a second-tier company, just like the cruise industry. The cruise industry is getting nothing out of this yet. I think they will um, because this is going to decimate the cruise industry. You had a couple of those ships that were floating around for like a week, a week and a half, something like that. I know one ship... Um, 
they tried to contact, I think, six or seven different countries. Hey, can we dock at your country's port? And they're like, yeah, you got the virus. I don't think so. And I think Cuba, of all countries, ended up taking one of the ships. Kind of crazy. But um, we'll just have to kind of see how that goes. So employers and self-employed individuals, they would get to defer the 6.2% tax they pay on wages that is used to fund Social Security. You get to defer it. So you still have to pay it. And the deferred tax would have to be paid over the following two years, half by December 31st, 2021, and the other half by December 31st, 2022. So you still got to pay this number, and will it be with interest? I'm not really sure. But this doesn't really help people who employ others, or it doesn't really help self-employed individuals. That is a tiny, tiny little drop in the bucket. But at least it's something, and I think this is one of those items where they can say, hey, you got something. You got something out of this. Stop complaining. Let's move along. And here's another one that I thought was interesting. I mentioned earlier that gasoline on a national average is at, I think, $2.06. No, this is the headline, no cash for the oil stash. What they got. The bill does not include the $3 billion that President Trump sought to fulfill his promise this month of filling the country's oil stockpile right to the top. And then as a way to aid U.S. drillers amid a price decline. Democrats also failed to clinch language extending tax breaks for renewable energy industries and the, or the oil industry. Uh, so I think these, the oil industry and the energy industry, I think they will get bailout money at some other point. It'll be one of those news stories that'll be, I call it the second page, but we no longer have pages because we don't have newspapers. It'll be a lesser story. The, this main federal package will go out and then this, the whole news story of the coronavirus will die down and then there will be additional funding and that'll kind of happen quietly. See, and, and I say that because so much of what happened in 2008 happened that way and this is the narrative that it seems to always happen. Here's an interesting one that I thought, all right, this makes sense. Telemedicine, they get an investment of $200 million. I don't know how far that really goes. I don't know the scope of this one, but the Trump administration would get $200 million for boosting Skype-style health checkups by investing in services and devices that help healthcare providers connect remotely with patients. So one of my good friends, Dr. Jason Paling, he owns an oral facial uh, clinic, um, Temple Mandibular Jaw Disorder. I think it's called Northwest Pain Centers or something. Sorry, Jason, if I butchered that, apologize. But he was talking about trying to figure out how to remotely connect with patients at the onset of this because I reached out to him and said, hey, what do you think of this? And uh, he's a dentist and, uh, more importantly, the TMJ guy. And he said, yeah, I'm going to try and focus on how I can do some more uh, connecting remotely with patients. And so when I saw the telemedicine investment at $200 million, this is the way things are going. I think a lot of companies are going to look around and go, do we really need all this office space? We've been working pretty good, everybody working from home remotely. Our numbers, our produ- production numbers aren't that low. And this is for companies that can work remote- remotely. I understand a lot of companies can't do that. But for the companies who can, I think there's been, always been this stigma of you got to see your employees to make sure they're working. And I know some employers have like webcams in people's homes to make sure that they're there sitting there, or they have some kind of thing, some kind of big brother thing where they measure the clicks of your mouse on your computer. 
All right. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of industry that is measured by productivity, like real estate. If you close a deal, everybody kind of knows it. Yep, you close that deal. If you're in a real estate appraiser, hey, how many appraisals did you complete last week? I completed five. All right, you got them out the door, they're done. They, those kind of things don't require a lot of oversight, and those are industries where people can work remotely, and I think you're gonna see a broad change to how commercial real estate um, works and how people kind of think through their business model. At Summit Properties Northwest and Reynolds Decline Appraisal, we have been working 100% remotely for the most part. We do have a little bit of office space. We've been working remotely since 2011. And when I went down that road, uh, internet speeds, not that fast. Uh, cloud storage, not that great. It was difficult and it was probably tricky and I was probably a little bit early, but it's been something that we've been able to kind of hone over the years and now we've got a system that works out great and we don't have to have huge office space even though we have I think 103 real estate brokers and we've got um, I don't know how many on Reynolds client side a handful um, but you can make it work and you can make it go and I think this uh, coronavirus is proving that that you can still get a lot done at home all right there is no work that the one of the things that I was kind of disappointed on was there is no help for what's being called the homework gap. Um, the deal is likely to omit funding that both lawmakers and the Trump administration sought to close the homework gap. And this is a term used for difference between families with Internet connections and equipment and those without. So it's one thing to say, hey, let's go work. Uh, let's go um, do remote learning. Let's have you learn from home. If you don't have a computer in your household, if you don't have high-speed inter internet, and a lot of families don't, then you are out of luck. Your kids don't learn. And that's a disparity that I don't think, um, you can't have that. So either all the kids don't learn, you can't have some of the kids learning at home. That just doesn't really work out. That is a wild inequality based basically on economics and social equity. And I don't, you just can't have that. So kind of disappointing to see that. Uh, Democrats had wanted at least $2 billion to go directly to an FCC subsidy program, FCC being Federal um, Communications Commission, and that helps schools and libraries connect to the Internet, while FCC Chairman Ajit Pai requested $50 million for a pilot program geared specifically toward uh, helping schools. They got nothing. And so millions of students are now stuck at home during the pandemic without a way to continue their studies online. And that's frustrating. And it's got to be just super frustrating for teachers because as time goes by, they're not going to really make that up. It's going to be like, yeah, I missed, I missed the, half, half, the second half of the year during my sixth grade because of the coronavirus. That's kind of how this will go down. But advocates will continue pushing for assistance. And I hope uh, there's money assigned to the homework gap because I think that's something that in this day and age we should have, uh, we should have money set aside for that kind of thing. And again, cruise industry relief, they got zero, zero money. And at this point in time, I, again, I think they're going to get money later. Retail tax fix. So retailers, stores, restaurants, and hotels will be able to immediately deduct from their taxes what they spend on property improvements. That makes no sense at all because these are the people who have no money at all, and they're going to require money to boot up when, we go, when everybody goes back to work. And they were supposed to get the write-off in 2017 tax overhaul, but a glitch actually made them worse off. So this is one of those things where, all right, we're going to throw you this bone. Here you go. You get this tax write-off. 
And while the fix will help by letting businesses file amended refunds from prior years, it isn't enough on its own to dig those out, those uh, people out of, uh, of those industries. A good friend, Dan Flitch, he's got two bars. He's doing some business at um, Savage Moose. Again, I'm going to plug, plug the Savage Moose for takeout in Kenmore, Washington. And those are the companies that it's a cash business. And if you don't have people coming in on the daily, it's tough business because you work on thin margins anyway, and you've got horrific overhead to keep those places going. So those are the companies that are going to get really hard hit. And I don't know what that's going to look for look like for them. I think over the coming days and weeks, we'll find out what that actually looks like. But I think for right now, it's a brutal time. Propping up the Postal Service, what they got. Final bill would provide the already underwater U.S. Postal Service with a $10 billion treasury loan to stave off total insolvency. Post office is basically being pushed out. I think the federal government is just like, hey, we don't really need the Postal Service anymore, even though we do. There's a lot of stuff that goes out via mail. Um, could that go out via email? Yep, but not everybody has email, um, believe it or not. House Democrats had wanted a $25 billion appropriation to keep the federal carrier going amid the pandemic, in addition to language that wipe out its $11 billion debt. It's got a massive debt to keep going because it is basically insolvent as it is right now. Um, this could decimate the U.S. Postal Service by June, absent action from Congress. I think they'll get it. There's something that is necessary right now, especially to get checks out to people who don't have direct deposit from this stimulus package. Food stamps and child nutrition gets $25 billion. That sounds like a lot, but it's really not when you consider it spread out over the whole country. Stimulus includes nearly $25 billion for food assistance, including nearly $16 billion for the SNAP program, and nearly $9 billion for child nutrition. That one, full tilt, go ahead. Spend that money. I, I think there's just no, I don't think anybody's going to argue that one. Relief for, ran for farmers, ranchers, $24 billion. Nearly $24 billion, including $14 billion for an obscure depressionary financial institution that USD is wide discretion to use to stabilize the farm economy. Another $9.5 billion would be set aside for emergency aid for the agriculture sector, including cattle ranchers and fresh fruit and vegetable growers. So that is kind of the last major group that I'm going to touch on as far as what the stimulus package gets. So stay tuned for more information. We are shooting the Seattle Real Estate Podcast on the daily, and we're going to continue for as long as people are at home and are not working, and then probably even a little bit further then, just to kind of work through everybody what is going on and the impact this is all having. So we will start to look at some of the actual mechanics of this package in the next few days. Hopefully this gets through voted in the house tomorrow. Stay tuned. We'll be shooting another podcast tomorrow. So again, I'm Sean Reynolds from Summer Properties Northwest and Reynolds Glen Appraisal. I appreciate you tuning in. Thanks again. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.